Hi, this is John Spear, uh, again with Greenlight.Guru. Uh, Mike and I decided to, Mike Drew is the um, president of Vascular Sciences. Mike and I decided to, we had a little bit more to say about a couple of, of the topics that we discussed during the Design Review podcast uh, for Greenlight.Guru. And, and a couple of things, you know, Mike and I are uh, pretty passionate about, uh, you know, product development process. But there's two things that we wanted to, to hit on on this, this bonus content. First thing is uh, delve a little bit deeper into this concept of an independent review. What does that mean and how can you manage that? And then the other thing we hope to, to dive into a little bit is I made a comment on that last podcast, something about slowing down, and that seems maybe a little counterintuitive to the way we've all been wired with product development. So without further ado, Mike, are you ready to, to spar a little bit about a couple of uh, points here on Design Review? I'm absolutely ready, John. I look forward to this. Now, you raised uh, some point about independent reviewer, uh, and about the need to, to have true independence and to, and to make sure that companies structure that in some way. And I think you even offered that that sometimes you're hired as a consultant to be that independent reviewer. And you know, I, you know, I guess in theory that all makes great sense. But what do you, you know, the startup company who's already scrapped for cash? Who maybe has two two to three people on their team who are all wearing many hats on the project? I mean, how in the world can they possibly pull off hiring an independent reviewer when they don't have you know cash necessary to to build a prototype? How can how can that happen? Well, that's obviously a big challenge, John. And we both work in uh, with companies that are the smallest of the small, the startups in people's basements or garages, all the way through the, to the largest of the large. And although big companies have obviously a lot of money, I find similar challenges because oftentimes they're not keen on on parting with their money. So whether you're talking about a, a startup or you know a really really big company, I think that many of the challenges are the are the same. Bottom line, I think it is a real challenge, although the regulation just says we need an independent design review, what the heck does that mean? You know, one of the suggestions that I made in the previous podcast was we want to try to create an environment where that independent reviewer truly feels independent, that in other words, they feel comfortable doing a a real, you know, uh, critique of the design and even taking it further, uh, asking the question, hey, you're designing this kind of device, but is this the real device that you want to um, uh, design? Is this the real problem that you're trying to solve? So, John, you've been in this situation in the past as well. What advice would you have to give to companies um, to try to um, encourage that sort of a, that, that, that sort of an environment. Well, I mean, it's and I guess if, if I'm the startup that has three people and limited cash, um, and I'm you know making progress on my uh, my product development efforts, and I recognize that I need to have a designer view, I'm I'm not going to sweat whether or not I have that independent reviewer. Uh, I know I need to have a designer view, and trying to track down somebody that that is truly independent um, might be a bigger challenge for me and it might be less productive for me actually than if I actually get my team together and have a design review. Um, so that that would be you know one thing. If push came to shove, uh, I'm going to have the design review and I'm going to worry less about whether or not there is an objective third party that's, that's being an independent reviewer as part of that process. So that's one thing you, I would do. 
you're right, John. And actually, um, you know, there's there's an adage: be careful what you wish for; you just might get it. But what if you're working in that very smaller startup company of only two or three people, and you do get somebody like you or I to come in that can offer a truly independent review and say, you know what? Quite frankly, your device is pretty bad. You yeah. know, what do you do in that situation? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I guess, uh, well, the same adage: careful what you wish for. Uh, uh, I think sometimes people are developing products that, uh, frankly, they shouldn't be developing because you know there's no clinical need or it's a solution looking for a problem. And and sometimes you know that maybe they're afraid to bring in that third party uh, reviewer because that person's going to tell them, uh, why are you doing this? Uh, so, uh, and you know, I think the other interesting thing is if I'm you know that three person startup and I realize I need to have a design review. Uh, chances are that they know somebody in their network, right, or uh, a friend or a neighbor or a colleague, or maybe they know of another startup. So, you know, even though I, I said earlier I should have a design review and not worry about the independence, if I care about what I'm doing, um, you, you raise a good point. I probably should find somebody to critique what I'm doing, uh, to be objective, and to come in and and be part of that design review process, even if they're not formally trained or qualified per se, but somebody who's going to come in and look at it. And frankly, they're, they're going to call me out when I'm, I'm doing something that doesn't make sense. That's that's going to be more meaningful to me, right? Yeah, and, and John, let me offer the audience another uh, pragmatic piece of advice. Uh, both you and I work with very small startups that are part of medical device incubators, and oftentimes these incubators um, uh, work out of shared spaces. Uh, I was just one in, in, in one uh, in California last month where there's probably about six or eight medical device companies all working in different areas, but all, you know, six or eight medical device companies in the same physical space, a great big conference room. And so if you're working in that kind of an environment, it would seem to me you can just go to the next cubbyhole over and knock and say, hey, you know, uh, could, can, can one of you, you folks, um, you know, give us a, a review of our design? So, so you're right. You can use networking. You can identify people. But we all have to keep in mind that the regulation here, like in, in, in most areas, it's very easy to, to just treat it as a checkbox, um, you know, independent review, right. done. But the question is, is that enough? Is that really what we want to do? Right. Any final thoughts on this particular uh, topic, John? Well, no, I don't think so. It's just it's tough. I mean, it, of course it's tough. And, and, and trying to sit down and figure out when when and how and if to do a design review uh, um, can can be challenging. I mean, it, you know, the, the regulations are also pretty clear that it should be part of planning. And, of course, you know, that that's easy to say and hard to do. Um, you know, knowing when you're ready for a design review is a bit of an art. Uh, and and if you don't have that, if you're not quite proficient with, with the, the, the art, so to speak, uh, I would say it, it's going to be clumsy, especially if it's your first time doing a design review. You know, it, it, it will feel a little maybe awkward and, and unnatural. And, you know, I guess that's where having somebody like you or me participate in those types of events or somebody who's done it before uh, can help be a guide and, and facilitate that process a little bit better. I agree. Well said. And to your point about uh, not knowing when to do it, I guess I would just steal the, uh, I think it was the, the Nike uh, uh, commercial, just do it. <coughs> Pardon me, just do it. I don't think uh, it really matters 
what the right time is. And I don't think we should need regulation to tell us that. I think uh, the, the, you know doing it is the most important, and doing it uh, frequently. Um, again, as we talked about in the podcast, I think it depends on the nature of your device. If you're working on a, a device with established technology that's been around for a long time, which is you know it's a Me Too, it's a 510K, and there's already 200 of them out there, then maybe doing a design review on a weekly or monthly basis. Uh, might not be necessary, but on right. the other hand, uh, if you're working on something that is truly cutting-edge technology that's never been used before, it's a class 3 PMA where it's really life-sustaining or life-supporting, then maybe doing it more frequently make, makes more sense. And at least in my opinion, the regulation should not tell us how frequently to do it. That should be up to us based on things that we've discussed. Yeah. All right, John, let's move on to the second point, uh, which yeah. I thought was Terrific. One of the suggestions that you made in our previous cod- podcast um, was simply, simply to slow down and uh, make sure that we're doing the things that we that we need to do. But, John, I don't know about you. I live in the real world, and uh, that's not an easy argument to win uh, when you say to your senior management that we need more time simply because we want to make sure that we're doing uh, a good job. How do we sell that kind of uh, – I'm not saying I disagree with you, but how do we sell that kind of uh, um, uh, argument or logic to the senior management of a existing medical device company or to the investors of a very smaller startup company? Yeah, I, I knew once the, the words were out of my mouth, I could, I could see them floating in the air and, and I couldn't put them back uh, in and you know, we'd already moved on. And uh, so I'm glad we had a chance to kind of revisit this topic. Uh, yeah, I do live in the real world and yeah, I uh, can appreciate the the pressure, and especially from a schedule standpoint. I mean, every every project development project I ever worked on was late before I even started. You know, and it's uh, uh, I can imagine that that's a pressure that that uh, our audience feels every single day. So when I tell them to slow down, I mean, I I, I can imagine that that was probably uh, no matter people throwing fruit at the at their computer screen listening to that. I'm not really sure, but. Uh, I think what I intent, meant to say, uh, with the intent behind those words, it was probably better stated, be more deliberate. Um, don't be in such a hurry to get to that next uh, milestone without ensuring that you're ready for it. And that's what I mean by slowing down. You know, Be uh, critical of what you're doing. I mean, we're designing medical devices. Uh, we should... We should be pretty deliberate and intentional about that, and and uh, yeah, I think even though there are those time pressures and those constraints, I mean we can do things in a way, structure our, our work in a way that you know if if we kind of have the end in mind, and we are mindful of things like verification and validation when we're developing user needs and inputs, uh, uh, that you know that allows us to kind of look into the future. And can also be a way for us to structure our process in a way that allows us to slow down and be more deliberate. What do you think, well, Mike? I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Some... I, I agree with you. And and one of the arguments that I've heard frequently, not just in the medical device world, but in the drug world as well, um, is it's better to find a problem earlier rather than later. 
Um, and many people will, will, will say that, you know, it, it, it's, it's better to, uh, if, if there is a problem with the device or the design of the device or the manufacturing process or whatever it is, better to find out about it sooner rather than later. Uh, but that's, that's easy to say, not always easy to do. The simple reality is that argument might work in a um, larger, you know, established device company um, that has a number of products already on the market. But that logic doesn't work as well in that startup or small company that you described, two or three people working in their garage or basement. They don't have any product on the market yet. And the simple reality is their investors are looking for a uh, liquidity invent, you know, an exit strategy. Um, and as a matter of fact, in many cases, because of that, we've created incentives not to look for problems. I see this in clinical trials all the time. Uh, because if the company or the technology is licensed or acquired by somebody else and a problem is discovered later, it's now somebody else's problem. The folks that started in that company are now probably off starting the next company. So, John, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the, the simple realities of, of um, you know, it's better to sell to find a problem sooner rather than later? I, I hear a lot of people make that argument, but is it really as simple as that? Uh, I think it can be as simple as that. I think... Yeah, I'm. You know, when I talk to to inventors and entrepreneurs, one of the the pieces of advice that I often offer is fail fast. And I, I think that's a similar mindset as you know finding problems early, and find them often, sort of thing. And and actually, I think um, I think you know when I say slow down, I I think that all of those things can can uh, can be accomplished uh, in this in this approach. I mean. Being more, being more deliberate, I, I think, is really about an attempt to try to, to find the problems earlier. And, and um, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, have some sort of strategy or plan of, of what I hope to accomplish through my product development effort, then I'm not talking to – most people hear plan and they think schedule. They think Gantt chart. I'm not talking about a schedule or a Gantt chart. I'm talking about some sort of narrative that, that becomes, you know, a, a critical – piece of uh, a, a record for your project, but also a way to communicate to your team what you're doing and why you're doing it. You know, it defines things like the scope and the description of your product and intended use and, and you know, a number of other <clears throat> critical pieces of information that, that uh, like I said, just communicate with your team. And I think if, if we can start a project with some sort of, some people call it a project charter or a project mission or, or what have you. There's lots of different terms that are used. But if we can start with something like that, and keep the end in mind, uh, and you know, kind of rapidly uh, iterate, I guess, and come up with user needs and design inputs, and, and think about all the ways that we're going to try to test this thing and verify this thing and improve that this device works. Then I think that allows us to make many mistakes along the way, and and uh, allows us to be much more deliberate in the process. Well, John, I think those are excellent points, and we need to wrap this up, I'll just, uh, uh, you know, dovetail on what you just said, and then I'll give you the final word. Um, so you mentioned the phrase, fail fast. Um, and again, I've heard this phrase used many times, but in the context of a very small medical device company, and keep in mind, here's an interesting statistic for the audience, 80% of medical device companies have 80 or fewer employees. So unlike Big Pharma, most of the medical device industry is not the Boston Scientifics and Medtronics of the world. It's the tiny companies of the world. They might have a couple of products or they might not even have any products on, to the, on the market yet. So depending on what the nature of your failure 
is if the product fails, the company can fail. And that means that the people that are working in the company are out of the job. That means that the investors have lost their money. So once again, I'm not trying to justify the mindset. I'm simply trying to understand why some people would make that argument that it is, in fact, not better to find problems sooner, um, rather to not look for them. You know, one of my favorite adages is there's no better way to avoid finding a problem than not to look for one. If you if you achieve the regulatory requirement of an independent design review by just simply ticking off the form, you know, hey, we hired somebody to do it, they told us we're doing a wonderful job, you've achieved that regulatory requirement. But have you really fulfilled your, your uh, dare I say it, your ethical objective as an engineer wanting to design a quality product? Your turn, John, and then we'll wrap this up. Yeah, uh, great, great comments. Mike, I mean, it's um, you know, to the audience. I mean, you're you're designing, developing, and manufacturing medical devices. Uh, I mean, I'm I know Mike is from from previous conversations. I know Mike he, he shares similar view as me. I, I'm passionate about this and what I do and and working in the med device space because I know that what I do impacts the quality of life in a good way. And I think that you all developing med devices uh, are, are in that same space. I mean, you have um, a tremendous opportunity to, to change life uh, forever. And, and I think if you're intentional and deliberate about your product development efforts, um, you will change the world. You will make it a better place. So keep doing what you're doing and enjoy um, having these conversations with Mike and, and listening next time when uh, there will be another topic that uh, has – uh, a ton of tips and advice for you going through the medical device product development process. Thank you. Thank you, John, and thank you to the audience. And we would love to hear from any of you that you that would like to, to share your your comments, agree or disagree, uh, some of your challenges. And if you have topics that you would like to hear us discuss in the future, uh, please feel free to contact us directly. Thanks again for your time. <laughs>